Welcome to the Waypoint What's the Point podcast. I am Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church, and this morning uh, we have a couple special guests. So let's everybody introduce yourselves. Uh, so I'm Pastor Eric. I am the youth pastor here at Waypoint. I want to emphasize that I'm the youth pastor, which means I'm going to give youth level answers to these hard questions. And I am Joy, I'm the local missions director, and we do a lot of ministries here in the Triangle, trying to um, just show the love of Christ in words and deeds uh, holistically. So we have a lot of ministries um, among refugees, immigrants, and international students, uh, but also our neighbors uh, that live just across the street from us. And I'm Erica. I'm the director of women's care, and I have the joy of planning women's events, uh, leading Bible studies, and discipling and caring for women here at Waypoint. Wow! So we have some special guests, Joy and Erica. It's good to have you here. Eric's a regular on the podcast with myself and Lawrence, and each week we pray and say, "God, what what do we need to discuss? What are what's going on in our congregation, especially during the COVID time where we're not as connected as we normally would be? Uh, our small groups meet over Zoom, and it just we don't meet on Sunday mornings in person, so." We created the podcast as a way to stay connected and also to just think through what do we need to be thinking of in the life of, of the church. And and uh, today is our first ever question and response time. It's not a question and answer time because we asked you guys to write in some questions from what we've been learning in the Bible reading plan, particularly in uh, between Genesis and Joshua and Luke and Acts and James. And we're not going to, we're not going to say like our answers today are going to solve all your your questions about the bible and we want to come with a humble posture so this is a question and response and it's going to be a dialogue there will be some kind of classic textbook answers that bible scholars agree on and then there'll be some some of your questions we're, we're gonna maybe give the classic you know this is the christian answer to this this question but then also some dialogue of how we're to think about this as followers of jesus but the first question is is uh, a little bit important. So some of you have asked, what's the song played at the beginning and the end of the podcast? And actually, this is one of my favorite songs. It's a Christian ska song from about 20 years ago. <laughs> Christian ska. Ska is like kind of punk with random instruments. Look it up, S-K-A, if you don't know what that is. You can Google it. It's, I wouldn't it's, have it's, taken you as like a punk kind of... Yeah, so I love <laughs> Christian ska. I, I was a youth pastor back in the day, and I'd take my youth group to all these Christian concerts. <laughs> But I'm like the clean, cunk, <laughs> clean cut punk guy. But I love this group called Five Iron Frenzy. Yes, Five Iron, like the golf club. I don't know where they got their name. It's but they sing the song called Every New Day, and it's a very hopeful song about that we're new creations in Christ. And uh, so that the beginning and the end of the song is what you hear at the podcast. And Eric was the one who actually. Eric, how did it come to be? I played that song randomly one day, and then you ended up putting it in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, we whenever we first decided that we were going to do a podcast, it's like, okay, we got to have some, we got to have some intro music because that's all the podcasts I listen to have cool intro music. And you know, we were sitting in a room, you, me, and and Pastor Lawrence, and uh, Lawrence is like, you know, we should have some kind of classical song. I'm like, no, that's going to be boring. Everybody's going <laughs> to think that we're boring, but they're not going to listen. We're to not it. boring here at Waypoint. Um, no, they're not. And around the, I mean, I mean, being in this season of COVID, uh, at one point prior to staff meeting, we asked people, you know, like, what are what are some things that you've been listening to? What's some music you've been listening to that's been encouraging, or books you've been reading, or shows you've been watching, whatever? And so you shared three different songs, 
and were adamant about us listening to them. So you even sent like YouTube video links. And so I was I'm like, pretty adamant about things I like. So yeah. love, so, it, love me or hate me, but I do that. So as Sorry, we were guys. talking about, it's like, well, why don't we just do that ska song that that way we can let people know that Pastor Dan is a punk. Yeah. Or he's into so, punk. I used to have spiked hair that was pink and wear a kilt. No, I'm just kidding. I never was in a punk band. All right, so that's that's the first question. The second question is more in this icebreaker range. We're not going to get to the deep New Testament or Old Testament stuff yet. But this one's really, really important here at Waypoint Church. So my, my question is, what's your favorite sushi roll or food or dish? So, uh, yeah, Sushioki is a local place that we support. Actually, our, our lead pastor and, and one of our elders and his family, they, they founded it as, as, an out, as a way to provide great food, but also provide uh, livable wages and jobs for refugees and others in the community. So if you've never been to Sushioki, it's, on, it's where 55 and 54 meet, uh, just south of I-40. You should check it out. And so what is your favorite Sushioki food? Eric? Uh, bulgogi all the way. I love that, that boom sauce. Uh, there was a time where they knew, well, I used to work with one of the guys who's like the primary guy there at Chick-fil-A. And so, yeah, he like remembers my order every time now and that's great. Bulgogi, extra boom sauce. Yeah, I'm the same actually. I love nachos and they know my, my order. Whenever I go there, I'm like, just give it to me. So what's the difference between the bulgogi nachos and the bulgogi, like the roll? I always get the nachos one, so I don't know the roll one. <laughs> Maybe you can answer yeah, this one, Yeah, I mean, Eric. I think the biggest difference is that the, the nachos don't have rice in it. I mean, to be honest, I couldn't tell you what's actually in the roll other than bulgogi and boom sauce, but, you know, that stuff alone makes it worth, worth eating. That's awesome. I always get a rice bowl, and I rotate between three different things. Bulgogi is one of them, the omagashi, which is a chicken, and then um, the shrimp, the titan temper, the kind of mix it up yeah i don't want to be i i kind of like i like the bulgogi and the titan tempura and i but i also like the salmon and the tuna one too so i kind of just show up and just let the spirit lead me let what the special i'm kind of cheap so it's two dollars off even though i know that two dollars is going toward the greater cause so i shouldn't care but yeah sometimes my uh I lead with my wallet versus my my stomach. Uh, my kids accuse me of of being very cheap. Um, frugal, frugal, frugal. I'm frugal. Frugal is a virtue, right? It's in the Bible somewhere. The frugalness is close to godliness. I think it's in Proverbs 33. Uh-huh. Uh, no, so we so that was the most important question we'll ask today. But another one is just another one of these icebreaker type questions: Is do you listen to any podcasts or read any certain blogs or websites that help you in Bible study? And uh, just just wanted to, if you could share maybe one or two of those. Uh, one that I like to listen to is called Knowing Faith. Uh, it's a podcast that the Village Church puts out. Um, I, I guess they can still claim that. I guess they still produce it. The like two out of the three people who are on the podcast actually aren't a part of the Village Church at this point. But um, it has Jen Wilkin, JT English, and. Um, can't forget the I forgot the other guy's name at this point. He's not important. He's he's, he's not big time. Like <laughs> he's Jim the actual host. He's the actual guy who got started. But um, yeah, they talk about a range of, of topics just uh, related to the Bible that that are, have been really helpful. Um, I think recently they were, they did a series on the Apostles' Creed that was really great. Um, and so yeah, I really really enjoy their banter and enjoy their their conversations. I think it's really helpful. 
Yeah, for me, I like to listen to um, Gospel and Life. It's uh, for Tim Keller and I'm big, Tim Keller. Yeah. yeah, Tim Keller fan. So yeah, Timmy all the way. <laughs> there you go. Um, the Gospel Coalition Women just launched a new podcast, and they're on episode four this week, and it's uh, Jackie Hill Perry. Jasmine Holmes and Melissa Kruger, and it's really fun. A lot of good topics, so I've been enjoying that. Um, yeah, I like a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I like all these. There's one called Food Trucks in Babylon that Eric mm-hmm. actually introduced me to, and it's basically a Western Seminary podcast. It's a little more academic, but it just talks about issues of the day and how we as Christians can engage. Like, think biblically, think biblical theology, think <laughs> But also in light of our current reality, mm-hmm. the space at a Western Seminary in Portland, that one's been pretty encouraging to me. I do like the Bible Project has their videos, but they also have a podcast where they geek out on yeah. Bible stuff for about an hour and twenty minutes. It's pretty good. It has and, no no real like trajectory or anything. It's just yeah. like they're just they're just talking. They're just talking, and they bring in one or two Bible scholar nerd type people, and they just talk. And it, you can you can learn a lot from it. Uh, in addition to the videos that they make. And sometimes they even like expand on their videos. So th- those have been helpful. And I love the the Gospel Coalition is a great website with a lot of resources. And I, I feel like Christianity Today is also another great website. They have a good podcast, too. Yeah, Christianity Today has a great podcast, too. So so there's there's good stuff out there. So always, if you need more, just ask us. We're, we're all learning and growing, and we can, we can share these things. But always listen to What's the Point podcast. Now, if you notice, we're at the nine-minute nine minute and 40-second mark. We're basically avoiding the question. Uh-huh. No. All right. So my first question for, for particularly Joy and Erica, because Eric and I answered this question when we him, Lawrence, and I did a similar podcast about the Old Testament earlier, is how have you learned to handle the hard passages or the difficult passages or the ones that maybe seem contradictory in the Bible and particularly the Old Testament as, as you're growing in grace and knowledge and, and growing as a believer? How are some ways that God has shown you how to do this? So um, I became a Christian at a very young age and got really excited about my faith in high school and started reading the Bible then. And so I've got a lot of years under my belt of uh, Bible reading, and yet still, uh, when I go back um, to the Old Testament and some of these challenging um, passages, it's it's hard for me. It's hard for me, um, even emo- on an emotional level, too. And so when I get to these um, hard places, particularly uh, Joshua, which we're going to discuss later, I kind of go back and start with Jesus. Um, Just what do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe um, from an historical and apologetic standpoint? Do I really believe that um, he was the Son of God and the resurrection happened and this was the birth of Christianity and the New Testament is reliable? And then also what do I believe um, personally that that Jesus has called me and done a work in my life and um, and when I'm in, in doubt, I look to others around me that I see him uh, working in or missionary biographies and people who have gone before me. And um, when I have a little bit more sure footing there, then I look at what Jesus said about the Old Testament. And he said, um, you know, everything that was written um, in the law and in the prophets was about me, you know, so coming at it 
from that lens. And as he was saying that, he had, there were copies of what we now call the Old Testament. And he um, he did clarify some things, like for the Pharisees, he was like, you know, you think this is important, but this is what is really important. The Sermon on the Mount is kind of um, Jesus clarifying things. You know, you say, you know, don't murder, but I said, don't even hate someone. Don't murder them in your heart. So he could have at that point said, you know, all that stuff that you're uncomfortable with, uh, you know, throw it out or it didn't happen, but he didn't. So I have to come back um, with that posture and, and that's been helpful for me. Thanks, Erica. How about you, Joy? Yeah, I think uh, it's really important for me to to just go back to Genesis 1, really, and just to see the heart of God and who God is, because just understanding the triune God and how um, it's just so beautiful to see how the triune God works together and like to just see the plan of salvation um, and really going back to God's covenant and his covenant of grace um, that started from Genesis and it keeps going. I think that uh, definitely helps me when I read through the scripture uh, because I always focus on God's grace in this moment. Uh, what was God's plan for this? Uh, and definitely seeing that his divine wisdom is just beyond what I can imagine. And so um, I definitely went back to many theological answers and, you know, go and read and uh, get commentaries and, you know, go to John Calvin, go to Martin Luther, you know, go to all these places. But in the end, I think it truly comes back to, do I believe God for what he says he is? Um, is he good? Amen. Is he the God of Genesis? Is he the, the God of Revelation? Is he the God of the whole entire Bible? So just reading the Bible in context and just seeing that because one thing happens, um, it doesn't just like, oh, I'm God is angry now. No, like it's not just he's angry, he's just and he's loving and just seeing the two, the two sides of God, the loving God and the holy God and understanding the scriptures through that and how he deals with justice uh, helps me a lot. Amen. Thank you, Erica and Joy, for sharing. So here at Waypoint Church, we normally preach from the Old Testament, and then we'll preach from the New Testament. We, we've prayed through and kind of come up with a 10-year plan, so we'll all preach through almost the whole Bible, every book of the Bible, not every part of every book, because but we've covered every book of the Bible in 10 years. We're in a two-year Bible reading plan that started January of 2020, and we're challenging everybody to be a part of it so that you could you know, let God's Word soak in and, and it becomes part of us. But sometimes it's like, well, do I even need to read the Old Testament? And, and, but actually the Old Testament is the Bible that the early church had. Mm-hmm. And everything about the Old Testament is about Jesus. So we read, the reason we learn the Old Testament and we study it is to understand the gospel. It's mm-hmm. to understand the good news, to put the New Testament in its proper perspective. Now, yes, I, most Christians don't need to read Judges every, every day for encouragement, but you can read, you're probably going to read Colossians and Ephesians more times during your Christian life than you're going to read Judges. But that doesn't mean we avoid Judges because what we can learn from Judges and what we can glean from Judges and Joshua and these other places is what the foundation of who we are as God's people that the New Testament is built on. So we want to be people who love God's word in its entirety and we're going to wrestle with it. So here we go. Here's the questions that the more serious questions, not the sushioki questions, which it was a good question. Um, so the first question is about Balaam. And I made a joke when I put out the call for questions. I said, please don't ask about Balaam's t- the donkey, the donkey that God mm-hmm. allows to talk to kind of show that 
you know, that God will use anything to prove mm-hmm. his, his glory. And uh, so someone asked the question, okay, nothing about Balaam's donkey, because that's just crazy. This is a quote from a Waypoint <laughs> member. But how about Balaam? I don't understand what he did wrong. Mm-hmm. Why is he con- consistently spoken bad, bad of throughout Scripture? When he seems like he sought the Lord and did good. So this is our first question. Why is Balaam, even in the New Testament, it's in Second Peter, even in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it mentions the, the error of Balaam. So, uh, Eric, what are, what are some things that you learned as you process this, and how can you help speak into this question? Yeah, of, of all the questions that we, we are talking through, this is probably the one that I feel actually competent about <laughs> um, because somebody else has actually asked me this question. And, and I sympathize with, with whoever's asking this question because, you know, it, it seems like the, the most natural reading would suggest that Balaam was a good guy. And, he and was historically, to the Lord. this has been a passage where people have struggled a little bit with it. It's, yeah, it's not tricky. like black and white, no matter what. Um, and, and, and so even just to, I think it's helpful for us, obviously, to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so that, that's mm-hmm. a corrected for us as it is. And so um, just having the passages that you're talking about right in front of me, Danny, Second um, Peter 2.15 says, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. Uh, Revelation 2.14 says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. And so, uh, so I read those, and I think the straightforward way of, of reading those would, would suggest that, that Balaam uh, is, is not this good prophet that it, it would seem that numbers, just reading this passage about numbers would suggest. Um, and, and so how do, we, how do we understand that? How, do we, how did the New Testament authors come to that conclusion um well i think even going going back to uh to this passage in numbers is is helpful uh, and just understanding okay balaam is a non-israelite prophet and from the very beginning we we get that he is he's not above doing acts of divination and prophecy for pay which yeah. uh in, in other places he's making big bucks other places that the bible speaks out against that as as being wrong or wicked um, and so that, but, but then, I, you know, it's, it's funny because we'd say, you know, I don't want to talk about the donkey. Please don't ask about the, the talking donkey. This isn't the first animal to be speaking in the Bible as it is. Um, thankfully, nobody's asking about the talking serpent. Uh, that's a whole different, maybe, maybe this is just going to open up another can of questions. That, so youth group, ask questions this right. week about the serpent and the donkey. <laughs> but when you, when you look at, so, so this is in Numbers 22, uh, is when Balaam comes up. Uh, you, you see, that as the person is, is talking about, uh, in verse 20, it says that, it says, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. And then verse 22 says, But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Okay, so something happened in between those three verses to suggest that something's wrong with this guy Balaam. And, and I think that my, my understanding of that is, is, is it's a prime example of people see external behaviors, but God knows the heart. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what God knows is happening here is that Balaam is at least open to the possibility of, of 
wickedness of evil of he's he's open to the possibility of doing what what Balak is is paying him to do which is to curse the people of Israel and so God's God's anger is kindled against him because he knows Balaam's heart is against the people he's willing to do it and and so I think I think the fact that uh, you have this talking donkey is actually our first hint. It's actually our first indication of something's wrong with this guy. You have this prophet who are, who are saying he's, he listens to the Lord. He knows what the Lord is doing. And yet a, another word for prophet that's, that's used in the Old Testament is seer. So one who sees or, or, and speaks the things of God. But who's the one who sees the angel of the Lord in this, in this setting? It's the, a donkey. The donkey. <laughs> so, so what we're seeing here, what we're finding out about Balaam is that it's actually a donkey who has a better sight of, of the Lord than Balaam. And so that, that in and of itself is, is problematic. Uh, and so, so then you, you go on and you see, okay, uh, Balaam is going to listen to the Lord. He's going to bless the people rather than curse them. You have these three or four different oracles that he speaks. And, and I think the fact that he doesn't actually curse the, the people of Israel is more so a testament to who God is and his uh, desire to preserve uh, the people and the promises that he's made to them. It's showing more so God's faithfulness to them than it's showing Balaam's faithfulness to God. And so, and, and I think another important indication another important detail and this is one of the, one of the things i love about you know when you get these kinds of questions you have to do sometimes it's it's an opportunity to become like an investigative reporter you become a detective and you're like okay I'm, i get to seek out the scriptures and i get to i get to try to pick pick out like what what are the details like what what's god actually doing here what's he what's he trying to communicate to us uh balaam is from peor uh now, being being an American, um, being a dumb American who doesn't know geography, uh, those kinds of details I wouldn't naturally pick up on. You know, names. I'm probably butchering all of these names as it is. I hope we can just overlook that. Um, but names and places are important. Th- those details are important. Uh, and and what we find out later on in, in Numbers is, well, well, first of all, what we know about Peor is people at Peor worship Baal. Mm-hmm. And what happens when Israel ends up at Peor? Even, even before, before Balaam gives his last oracle, he makes this, this subtle statement. He says, I'm going to go back to Peor. Mm-hmm. And so he, he is actually going to confront, he's actually going to be in Peor at the same time Israel's in Peor. And elsewhere in, in Deuteronomy, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, uh, Balaam is accused of putting a stumbling block before Israel, mm-hmm. which leads them to sexual immorality and to, to, uh, to idolatry, worshiping of other gods, Baal. And so what we, see, we shouldn't judge his actions of blessing Israel as an as affirmation of, okay, this guy is a great prophet. Rather, when we look at all of, the, all of the information in front of us, what we see is Balaam is a wicked prophet who is actually, maybe he's actually giving Balak's money's worth as it is because he actually causes the, the people of Israel to stumble. So he, even though he doesn't outright curse them, he is, he is working against them. And, and so God, God judges him, and the, the New Testament writers, I think, rightly are speaking out against him and, and the wickedness of his ways.
Thanks, yeah. Eric. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it comes back really. We see this as well in the New Testament, even with Jesus and the Pharisees. Right? We're doing the right thing. We're saying the right thing. When when the rich man comes to Jesus and he's like, "What should I do?" and Jesus gives him, "Well, what do, what do you think you should do?" and he's like, "Well, I'm doing the Ten Commandments. I'm I'm pretty good." But really, God sees the heart. He comes back mm-hmm. to it's not just what you're doing in the surface, and this is right. really what the entire you know, scripture is about is transformation from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I can, you know, or even since we're right now studying James, you know, we're talking about how can we be listeners of the word that when we look at the mirror, we're not going to walk away forgetting how we look like. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is Balaam's situation where he wants to do what God wants, but at the same time, he's, he has his own plan, you know, like the Israelites uh, during, or the Pharisees during Jesus' time, like, well, we're not going to kill him because like, you know, people are going to be mad at us. But like, so they go there, they listen to him. And once they go out, how can we kill him? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, God seeing the heart of man and just understanding that he desires a transformation of our hearts, the inner minds, uh, as, uh, as Paul talks about it in Romans as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So the short answer is Balaam acknowledges that Yahweh is God, like Rahab did. Mm-hmm. And he actually meets God. He's one of the few characters in the Bible that meets God. And but he doesn't change his heart, and like Rahab fully turns her heart to God. She just hears about the power of this God, the God of the Israelites, and she turns to God. Balaam tries to keep things his own way. Yeah, so I hope that helps. And just a funny story about Balaam. I when I was nine years old, the NIV came out, so my I experienced my early Sunday school years with the King James. <laughs> And the King James has a really fun way of saying uh, the word donkey. So this is one of our favorite stories mm-hmm. as kids. And even the place where Israel was was staying has this this passage has two cuss words in, in one passage. So if you're if you really want to check it out, you can check out uh, Numbers 22 and see what I'm talking about and see what the King James word is for donkey. Uh, now to the next question. Um, what is the relationship between Aaron and the Levites? Is he a Levite, which which would mean Moses is too? And this this is a pretty straightforward question. Uh, we I can answer quickly. And yes, uh, Aaron and Moses are from the tribe of Levi. And the main reason we we don't know exactly, but we can tell the Levites were the one tribe. They were the smallest tribe. They were the tribe that really didn't go along with the golden calf. And they get their tribe becomes the priests. They become the priestly order. Uh, there's some speculation and, and, you know, different scholars might argue was just the direct descendants of Aaron, like his children and their children, the ones who get to go into like the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle and the other Levites did other things that we, you know, we can, we can get hints, but we do know that yes, this priestly line is preserved and the author of Hebrews goes into extensive detail to show how Jesus is the priestly line, but he even says Jesus is greater than the priest. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than the Levite priest. Even he's in the order of Melchizedek, who's outside of the tabernacle system. So, and the role of priest is extremely important mm-hmm. in redemptive history. There's the role of the prophet, the role of the priest, and the role of the king. And all three of those start showing up in the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. And there, Jesus fulfills all of those roles. So, yes, um, Aaron and Levi would have been, Aaron and Moses would have been from the tribe of Levi. And yes, the, they would have been. And interesting, Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe mm-hmm. of Judah, which is the tribe that David comes from. And that's significant too. That's the kingship of Jesus mm-hmm. is, is part of his birth in that. 
All right, so next question. Did Moses always meet God face-to-face? Because at the end of Exodus, it seems like he no longer could. Um, so that's that's the next question. And Eric, do you have a couple thoughts on that? Uh, I do have a couple of thoughts. So, um, so did Moses always meet God face-to-face? I, I, I would say... Um, on the one I, it, I would say in part yes and no mm-hmm. um, so I think that you know when you when you look at Exodus 33 uh, you actually see the answer in, in that passage alone being yes and no uh, I think it's in Exodus 33 11 that uh, you see God talks to Moses face to face like he does a friend but then which is one of the coolest passages in scripture yeah. right there's nowhere in the ancient Near like East does anybody but the emperor get any access to God right you know and I mean just the unique role that Moses plays in being the mediator yeah. uh, mm-hmm. for, for God's people um, you know it, I mean yeah it's it's amazing like it's an amazing but but then like on on the curtails of that passage uh the very next story, I think, is talking about Moses asking to see God's glory, and God says, "You can see my goodness." He, he says, "You can see my goodness, not my glory." And and so this is the passage where he puts God, where, he, where God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, and he covers him with his hand, and he passes by, and and so I, I think that um, you know, as we're thinking about this idea of of seeing God face to face, and even what we talk about is as believers, like like the New Testament talks about this, one day we will get to see God. We won't need veils. We won't need any kind of mediator. We'll get to see Him as He is in His glory. And I think that 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 aspect of of God is is something that um, something that we we crave, we desire, but is not is not what uh, what Moses got to see of God. He didn't he didn't get to see God in His glory self, at least in this context at this time in history i think i think in the transfiguration where jesus uh where moses is uh up on the mountain with uh jesus and his disciple or a few of his disciples and and he's with elijah that he gets to see a glimpse of this Um, so he gets to actually physically moses even though he's forbidden from the promised land he gets to stand in the promised land with jesus and Elijah, and he gets to see Jesus' glorified body. So he finally gets it, right, he and gets Peter, James, and John get to be there for this account. Mm-hmm. Which we, you know, we we did a, uh, I guess last time we did a sermon series on Esther, where we were talking about God behind the scenes, and made a similar point about Elijah and having this this similar kind of story of of kind of being shelved, and then God brings him back into it to see um, what God is doing, to to see uh, in, in fulfillment in Jesus, uh, His glory self, and I think that's what um, you know we're thinking about seeing God face to face as He is. That, that there must have been some difference between how God was talking to to Moses in this mediatorial relationship than what we're going to experience fully in eternity that so when it when you get to the i mean so that so another point in um in exodus in the exodus story you have israel screws up big time they they have this golden calf uh moses comes down in anger he breaks the the stone tablets the ten commandments um and they're you know moses is trying moses tries to defend israel he says you know if you won't go before us, if you won't go with us, then what's the point in us even going? And so there's kind of this question mark. But I mean, we know that God's going to be faithful to His people, 
And what we see happening at the end of, of Exodus, which is part, part of what this question is referring to, we see God descend, or yeah, God descends on the, the, the tabernacle. He fills it. Um, maybe he fills it in his glory. And, and so not even Moses is able to go into that space. And the question is, what, what's going to ha- How can, how is God, or how, how is Israel going to be able to, to bear the presence of God in all its, its glory and beauty? And, and so God creates a way in Leviticus, at the very beginning of Leviticus, he calls out to them, and he's, he establishes these different systems and orders to um, to make that possible. But I think even today, what we have God inside of us through His Spirit, but but getting to see Him as He is face to face in all His glory is something that that we that awaits us, and that's something we get to be excited and hopeful about. Yeah, and I think also like understanding when we talk about God that we're talking about a triune God, you know. Mm. Uh, so definitely, He didn't see the Father that we know, right, <laughs> like right. and neither neither in the end or in the beginning. Um, so uh, whether it's the pre-incarnate Christ or the Word of God, or you know, so just understanding that yes, what we know for sure that He did not see the Father face to face. That's important distinction. Yeah, and so yeah. He saw, he saw God, how God relates to humans. Exactly. And when Jesus says, I am, he's saying, I am the Yahweh, the Lord, that, who mm-hmm. Moses met, who Joshua met, who Rahab met, who these, mm-hmm. I mean, not who Rahab, who Hagar met, who Sarah met, who Abraham met. Like he's saying, I am the God that these, that in, introduced himself to his covenant people as he, as he, as we look at redemptive history, Jesus is like that. That was me. That's representation of yeah, God. The, I am. I am the representation of God on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, um, yeah, this passage in Exodus thirty-three was really significant for me because, you know, I grew up, you know, hearing always that God loves you, God is your friend, talk to Him like a friend, which is amazing and true, mm-hmm. but I wasn't taught about His holiness. But when I look at passages like this, that yes, God's. God is so beyond us, so holy, so awesome that Moses had to be, you know, hidden in a rock and could just see the back of him, just a glimpse, you know, and um, and it makes it more amazing that that God would condescend in any form to speak to Abraham and Moses, and that uh, Jesus came and tabernacled among us, and that mm-hmm. you know God's glory was was in Him, and and that we can have a relationship through Jesus with that God, you know, it, it puts it all in perspective in a new way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I, when I was a youth age, you're talking about Jesus being your homeboy. So I don't, I don't know who's responsible for that. Uh, <laughs> we can hash that out later, but, um, kind of moving on with, with some of these questions. One, one person, uh, sent in a really challenging question, but I think a good question. Uh, they said that they listened to the overview of Joshua by the Bible project and they talked about, the, the Bible project, they talked about hyperbole when it says the towns were devoted to destruction and that it goes in line with other Near Eastern war literature. And so uh, what do you think about that and, and their interpretation of, of that part of Joshua? Yeah, I. if you haven't seen that, I love the Bible Project's video on Joshua, and I think it puts a lot of things in perspective. And one of the things it says about this being hyperbole is that later on there's Canaanites. So, like, obviously... They didn't wipe them out. And um, and I think that sometimes when we hear hyperbole, we get uncomfortable, but we forget how much idioms and hyperbole are, are part of, of every language, you know. Um, 
we used this example earlier when we were talking as a staff, like if um, I'm waiting for my kids, you know, maybe at a practice and it's taking a long time, I'll say, oh, I've been waiting for days. But no one thinks I've been waiting for literal days. But if, you know, Amazon is, if I'm having something sent to my house through Amazon and I could say, oh, I've been waiting for days for that, you know that I mean 24-hour periods um, because we're native English speakers and we understand idioms. If I say I have a broken heart or if I have a heart attack, you know, those are two very different things. But um, thankfully, we have people who are linguists, people um, who study um, other cultures, anthropologists. And and I look at that and it just it's amazing how the body of, of Christ works to get um, Bible interpretation to us, you know, so I'm thankful that there are people who study languages and, and um, it's not that we don't want to take the word of God literally, it's we want to take it so literally that we want to know exactly what it was saying in its context so we can make sense of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think taking it into context and also understanding, um, again, understanding the heart of God, understanding yeah. the goodness of God and trusting the goodness of God um, and just seeing um, that it is normal for us to be heartbroken when we see things like this in the scripture, yeah. um, because it's actually it shows that, um, you know, when the God who created everything perfect, when things like this happen, He's also brokenhearted over it. It's mm-hmm. not just us who are looking into these things and, um, you know, just also trusting the wisdom of God, that mm-hmm. Him was His divine wisdom. He chose that to allow this to happen at this time and this circumstances. He knows, and He's doing what is best. And really, for me, when I connected really to the New Testament as well, and just seeing, again, the holiness of God and to see the love of God meeting together on the cross, seeing that the wrath of God was poured down on Jesus, mm-hmm. the whole wrath that we all deserve, uh, because if there is one right for us, is the wrath of God. We don't deserve any of His goodness, but He's given us this grace. And so it really puts things in perspective to see how 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 privileged we are mm-hmm. to be in this and see his goodness in it yeah and even uh you know putting my cards on the table i i personally am not well read in near eastern war literature i don't know about you guys if if that's i read uh, it for fun i love near eastern <laughs> i can speak ugaric and uh <laughs> many of the ancient languages i have my own rosetta stone at my house I'm okay yeah i mean it's um, just kidding guys for those of you at home i have no idea what any of this stuff is i have to read it in english um but I imagine, you know, we, we were talking earlier just about, like, sports language and, and how funny it would be. We imagine if, you know, somebody discovered our, the, the language that we use, like, articles that we've posted that talk about this team destroys or pulverizes this team or, or Slaughters, LeBron, yeah. LeBron James posterizes this person. Like, what, what does it mean to posterize somebody? Or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I didn't defend him because I didn't want to be put on a poster. Like, what, what is that? What, what's a poster? What is it? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I imagine, too, that, I mean, I would, I would guess that when the Assyrians or the Babylonians, like, I would be interested in looking up that, that the literature that they wrote uh, and some of their... Um, some of the battles that they fought, but then, like, what did they say when they uh, when they took over Israel, when they took over uh, the Northern Kingdom or the Southern Kingdom? Yeah, I, I imagine they they probably used similar language of, of saying we de- we destroyed them or we we demolished them, we uh, we totally annihilated them, and we, we we wouldn't take that to mean that they have been completely wiped off the earth, 
but that they were they were victorious in, in their battle pursuits um, mm-hmm. and that they they were able to plunder the land and to take whatever the, whatever was available they took as their own and so mm-hmm. um, which I, I mean it, it's not quite the same here even like I don't think that's what yeah. uh, what Israel is doing or what their heart is like I don't I want to I don't, don't want to compare them as uh, as one-to-one correlation but just to say this idea of hyperbole being used here um, I think that what God is doing is, is he's trying to, uh, he is trying to wipe out the, the idolatry and the sin that, that is uh, rampant in, in Canaan and that he uh, is rightly cautious about for the people of Israel, not wanting to, to be uh, intermingled and, and adopted in, in their own people because, he, because they're being called to be a, a, holy, a holy nation. A, and a the very nation. account, the Balaam account at Peor is that they... Right, it's, it's, very, it's already very happened clear once. Example. They've already yeah, done it. It's a very they've clear already done it. They, they, they can't even, they've seen God part the Red Sea and they can't even literally not worship the local gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the second half of the person who wrote this question is just kind of like, just, just her, her heart is, the question doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible. Like it seems like Jesus is for the orphan and the widow. Why would God want the people of God to just annihilate all the kids in the village? And, and if you read it at its, if you read it at its context, it seems like genocide. But the Bible Project and other, uh, you know, interpret- interpreters will show that it's not genocide because the people could flee. It didn't say hunt every person down who was part of this tribe. We know that every one of these tribes exists afterwards. We also know that every that right after God tells them to do these things, it says, when the foreigners, the Canaanites live among you, here's how you treat them. Don't worship their gods. Well, they already got rid of them. But even in, in uh, Deuteronomy 7, the first time we get this idea of, of these seven tribes need to be wiped out, it, taught, you know, it says, this is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. It's more about God's holiness. Mm-hmm. It's more about God. It's about God, and, and yeah. mm-hmm. it's not about the war. Mm-hmm. When Jesus comes, his, Jesus' name is Joshua. We, we forget that in English. Jesus' name is the same word mm-hmm. as Joshua. Like, it's exactly the same. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't build an army. He says, we're fighting a spiritual battle. And even when Joshua meets the, the commander of the Lord's army, he's like, whose side are you on? And he's like, basically, neither. I'm on God's side. You join my side. And the, to start the whole thing off, there's this encounter with Joshua and the commander of the Lord's army. And he's like, hey, this is God's battle. And then they say, march around the city six times. So they don't even, it's not even about military power. It's about God. And if any moment of those six days of marching around, if anybody would have fled the city or turned to God like Rahab did, or they, they wouldn't have been destroyed. They could have turned to God. And actually, the Hittites are one of the tribes that's supposed to be destroyed. And the Hittites, actually, Uriah the Hittite is the guy who shows David's sin. And his wife Bathsheba becomes in Jesus' line. And Bathsheba might have been a Hittite. So, so in God's redemptive history, we, can, we look at this holistically and we can see it's more about God's grace and mercy. And yes, this was a moment in history where God actually asked his people to be part of executing his justice. And they had to physically do it. Just like soldiers had to physically fight in World War II, fight the Nazis and the Japanese and other enemies that were doing evil things. They had to physically do it. But this wasn't the norm throughout Israel's history. And this wasn't when Joshua came as Messiah. 
this wasn't what he set up. So we can, if we look at it in the whole of Scripture, it begins to become more clear. It's about God's holiness. Yeah, I take great comfort in the story of Rahab, and that, um, and that when God describes Himself, He says He's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So, um, if that's God's character, just like Joy was saying earlier, um, I have to trust that. I have to come in with that mindset. Um, even though you know this story is is unusual and and it should yeah we should be concerned we should should make us want to dig in deeper and and see what's going on here knowing god's character but i do think you do see god's grace and compassion all the way throughout the story but throughout the old testament that his heart is for widows and orphans and and that's brought up over and over again he has cities of refuge for people who accidentally kill other people he's concerned about people we see that over and over and over again so continuing on these these questions about joshua the book of joshua in particular uh we have another question here that's related to uh the audience that joshua is talking to who who is joshua writing or the book of joshua written to um again this this person who's asking the question is listening to the bible project and and the bible project uh they said that it was that joshua was written for the exiles in babylon but they always thought that it was much closer to the time of joshua and they referenced archaeological evidence that the canaanite towns were not completely destroyed by the israelites so what's going on there what what is who is joshua written to okay so when were the books that we have in the old testament written and then who wrote them? That's a challenging question that's been debated um, throughout history, uh, church history. We know, we, we as evangelicals uh, affirm that Moses wrote a large chunk, most of what we call the Pentateuch or the Torah. Uh, obviously, there was edits later. The, he wrote in an old Hebrew version, and, and now the, like just like the English language has changed since William Shakespeare the Hebrew language changed over the you know 12, 1500 years from Moses to the time of Christ. So, so we definitely know that there were edits. Uh, wh- what was written at the time of Joshua and what we have in the book of Joshua, what, and were there other books, other narratives in, in Kings and Samuel? It talks about other books that existed, other scrolls that accounted for Hebrew history that we don't have. There are some that we actually do have that we don't consider part of the Old Testament that some of the scrolls found at the Dead Sea Scroll, at the, at the Dead Seas, at, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s. So there, there is other literature out there that we don't consider part of the Old Testament. So what do we do with this? Did Was Joshua written by Joshua, or was it written mostly by some scribes and editors and edited later? I would say both. I think that definitely there would have been, just like Moses had an account, there would have been people at the time of Joshua making an account, whether Joshua did it himself or there were a group of people that God had raised up to do that. But definitely it would have been edited later when the entire of what we call the Old Testament was put together. Uh, And this would have been throughout Jewish history. We do have the story of, of Josiah. He finds the law. So there was a time when the people... The scrolls were kind of locked up somewhere in the palace or the temple, and the people were worshiping the the local Canaanite gods, the very gods that they're warned about in Numbers and in Joshua. So, so there, throughout Israel's history, God is weaving and make creating the story of His story, 
and we get that as the Old Testament, and that's what we call as Christians the Old Testament. The uh, Jewish people would call it the Tanakh, and it includes the Torah, it includes writings, and it includes the prophets. And Jesus says, all those things are about me. So where do we know that it's true? We know because of Jesus, and we know that this was the Bible of the early church. So that's my answer, not answer, that yes, it was written, probably a lot of the account came at the time of Joshua, but it was also edited and the scribes added to it later, and it gave us what we have as the Word of God. If you have more questions about that, you can always ask. I can't believe that we only got through five questions. We had nine not including the silly Sushioki questions, but we had nine. We're going to have to do these in a future podcast. We have a question about circumcision. We have a question about polygamy. We have a question about the Jerusalem Council. We have a question about the man of lawlessness from Second Thessalonians. So you're going to have to tune in next time for those answers. And, and guys, we're here because we want to study the Bible together. We want to learn God's Word together. And we're grateful for you and continue to seek God. And remember, always look to Jesus. When you, when you, God's word will come alive to you and the spirit will enlighten you, but we're going to learn this in community. And when you're struggling, just say, okay, God, I, I want to understand you. And then we can look to Christ and then all these things will start coming, come together. So let's continue to love each other and study God's word in community. Have a great week. Have a great week. Thanks for having us. Bye.